Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jerunzu. And today we are going to be discussing loot, treasure, and how to put these things in your game in such a way that they're going to be beneficial for your players, but it's also going to be interesting and add to the overall plot. So Jerundu, I know we were briefly talking about this just before we started recording, and one thing we both kind of mentioned is that we feel like this is kind of a blind spot for both of us. Um, we both kind of admitted that it's going to be an interesting topic because the two of us are actually not great at doing this. So I think that's actually better in a way because it forced us to do a little bit of research and confront some of our weaknesses and then maybe we can grow from this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's what it's all about at the end of the day. I am very loosey-goosey uh, in my DMing style. So <laughs> I don't put a lot of forward planning into how to reward my players generally, which is, you know, is a, perhaps a failing on my part. But what I do tend to do is like try and reward them in creative ways, sort of each session, usually by the use of random tables. Those are my favorite. Just recently, we had an opportunity. The party encountered a, a, a doctor in uh, my new Menorah game. Um, so they encountered a, a, is a geneticist and um, plastic surgeon. So I had a, a random mutation table and had everybody <laughs> agree that um, they would abide by the result. And then they underwent surgery at the hands of uh, the doctor and then uh, we awarded things like extendable necks for like <laughs> you can extend your neck out five feet Jeez. One <laughs> that of, seems yeah terrifying. yeah it's pretty funny um somebody grew an extra arm it was that kind of thing but um i put literally zero effort into that it was googling a random mutation table that somebody else had written and then just implementing that into the game but that's more like you know I think my players my uh, in my home game sort of expect that sort of thing. But if I was playing with a, a more organized group of players, they would probably be deeply disappointed in my uh, improvisational um, ways of uh, rewarding them. Um, so, yeah, really getting into the, the nitty-gritty of um, how to sort of effectively manage uh, player rewards and, and loot uh, is something I, could, I, I think uh, I will greatly benefit from. Well, I don't think that improvising is necessarily a bad thing. I mean, half of being a dungeon master is all about improvisation, mm. uh, at, you know, at the end of the day. But I do kind of like what you said where you're talking about getting like these body modifications as rewards. I think that's like a nice departure from the standard search their pockets and see what I found on the, the dead goblin or something. And it actually makes me think of a new type of reward or maybe you want to call it a treasure. I don't really know. Um, because it kind of fits in this other category, and that's tattoos. Um, in Natasha's mm. Cauldron of Everything, they've added something new called tattoos, and um, it's basically a magic item you can wear. And I think that would be interesting in itself to give us a little bit of a reward, like you were saying, the surgeon was helping them out. Sure. Maybe someone has the ability to give you magically induced tattoos that give you certain abilities or mm -hmm. you know maybe maybe they're bad maybe they're a curse you wake up you don't want that tattoo but it's there for life something like that um yeah i think there's you know loot doesn't have to be shiny shiny gold or gems or whatever it's literally a, a device to um reward your players so um i like the idea that it's you know it can be something like a kind of physical alteration or um you know, awarding some kind of minor power or benefit to a player for doing something particularly cool or taking a risk. As I say, with mine, it was a random table, so there were some bad things in there. 
<laughs> there was one that would have caused the player's abdomen to distend, uh, which would have allowed them to float, but also like only by virtue of like const- constantly um, expelling um, flatulence. So, wow. Does that lower uh, their charisma in certain situations? Yeah, it would have sort of been, I think, it wasn't sort of written into the, the table, but I would certainly have taken that into account. Well, maybe they were just like a with... half flump or something. Well, that was kind of the, what, how I imagined it. I was kind of like a cross between a flump for a, and, a, and a blowfish, I guess. Well, I think starting right off, just talking about loot. I mean, the fact that we use the word loot instead of rewards or instead of treasure, it kind of, imp- it, you know, it does imply that these characters are looting a body or looting some sort of wreckage. They're they're That's true. searching through something that has been destroyed, has been changed from its original form, um, you know, whether it was a building or a person, and they're going through and seeing what they can find. So, first of all, what are the ethics of this? I mean, if you're playing all good characters in character, is it ethical for you to loot anybody at all? Or does it matter? Um, do you think it's if it's a, a monster that was trying to murder you, it's just a waste to not take the things? Or do you think there is a level of moral grayness just by lo- looting anybody, regardless of, you know, the species or the, the creature's intent when um it's when it was interacting with you? Hmm, that's an interesting moral question. I think it's just something you should consider f- from the perspective of your your character and what their feelings are about morality in general. I would say sort of a more neutral stance would be to say, well, they can't take it with them if you're looting bodies, for instance, or grave sites. They can't take uh, grave goods with them. But by the same token, you would be disrespecting somebody's burial rights and religion, etc. So I guess if you were more on the lawful side, law, I guess, doesn't just imply necessarily the judicial laws, but a sort of sense of order and perhaps respect for tradition as well. And I think it also depends where you're at, right? I mean, if you are in the middle of the jungles of Cholt and you just killed some Batari goblins that attacked you, I mean, that's not a big, you know, like if you're, if you can use some of their things, you may as well. But what if you're in the middle of Waterdeep mm. and even if you did just help, <laughs> yeah. say you just helped the guards catch a criminal, do you just get to walk up and start looting his pockets? I somehow think that's no, not allowed. Yeah, probably not. So, yeah. you know, even... You know, even if the the person was was evil or something, I feel like in certain situations you're not going to get away with that. Maybe your character is okay with looting their body, but are the guards okay with it? Are the people around them okay with it? I think these are things that are interesting to talk about because it seems like it's just so everyone's like, oh, what's on the body? Oh, let sure. me search the body. But if you know, depending where you're at, that that really could not be an option. I think I think you're right. Actually, this is not something that I've really con- consciously put any thought into, but um, it is something that I do like to remind my players of that they are playing in a a consistent world. I think it maybe comes from sort of like computer games or something, you know, where you could just more or less, you know, in some places, like Link famously is a complete dick who just goes into everyone's houses, rummages through all the drawers, steals everything, and leaves. But if you, yeah, as you say, you know, if you put yourself in a position where you, you stop a street robber or something, are you then, uh, are people going to turn a blind eye to you just rummaging through that person's pockets? Probably not. <laughs> and it kind of ties in with um, how realistic it would be to be in full plate regalia or whatever, parading through any given city if you're not sanctioned by the people who rule that place you know all the town guards the town guards are going to be happy that 
somebody who's geared up for war with you know a great sword strapped across their back and three javelins and all this in full plate mail stamping up and down the street would that be something that the town guards would be happy about i guess given the the situation over there (laughs) might raise questions about whether or not it would be well i do think let's just say so it's definitely worth questioning the ethical part of it it's also worth questioning even if your characters are willing to look past the ethics what are the laws in the area that the Mm. that they're at um and like like I know you'd like to go a little bit more loosey-goosey and things, and I like to do all this research and try to base it off existing lore. And part of the reason I like to do that is because it's already there. It exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I write a whole campaign that takes place in Waterdeep, I can look right now. If you just go Google, you can find a PDF that lists the laws in Waterdeep and the punishments because someone already made that like 20 years ago. And you can use that right there. So you can say like, yeah, it's... You know, it's not illegal to walk around with a weapon, but it is illegal to use it. It's not illegal to do this, but it's illegal to cast fireball in the middle of the town square. And I think that helps provide this kind of moral and ethic Mm. high ground, especially if you're in these major cities where there is existing content. But I do think that it is something that's just worth considering from a homebrew standpoint as well, which I I feel like overall, the majority of people who play D&D probably do kind of do something a little bit more homebrew instead of, you know, really making sure it matches the existing lore. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly that was always my experience from my introduction to the game. But as I say, just I think it's whether or not you use existing law as as written or um, you homebrew it, as long as it's, you know, consistent, logically consistent, which is a point I'll just come back to again and again. You know, it makes sense. Just think about it from the perspective of you. if you're in a city, um, would there be a built-up area? Is there a standard of law enforcement? Uh, you know, societal norms would... If you were walking around the city today and you saw somebody like assisting a police matter and then they dipped into the perpetrator's pockets, you'd probably be a bit appalled, right? You know, and people's morality, you know, certainly in the game, the game worlds that we create or that we adapt from existing things, are, you know, they're framed through our own experience. So unless you're going to go role playing medieval morality, which I don't recommend. You know, it's all based, your characters and your players and your NPCs are all going to be based around your sort of modern sensibilities. So you just use those to be consistent with the setting you're in. Maybe if you're in, you know, Pirate's Cove uh, or something, um, people are going to be less bothered about you openly burglarizing or, you know, mugging people, essentially. Well, if we get to move past the morality of it and we just move past the ethics Mm. and we're just playing a game, (laughs) let's just go straight with how do we, you know, create loot and treasure that's going to be meaningful and it's going to be um, worthwhile for the players. You mentioned that Mm -hmm. oftentimes you use tables and and, and pre-existing things like that, which is fine because that's why they exist. I mean, the Dungeon Masters Guild has lots of tables dedicated to that. But do you find that sometimes it just doesn't make sense or that the rewards just aren't like they don't match up well enough? Like I realized they did their best to create a general couple tables Mm. that can fit but i feel like there are situations where i don't know half the time you roll it's if they're under a certain level they will there will be nothing in their pocket so there'll be nothing on them sure and it's like does that make sense because i have a player go well i mean he just attacked me with a short sword so i'm gonna grab that or okay well is he wearing armor stuff like that i'm like yeah the goblin's wearing armor but it's it's not high quality um it looks hand like second hand um, and it certainly looks too small for you. And then you have the halfling go, oh, well, yeah. it looks like it fit me. And, uh, you know, that's fine. Is that, you know, I have people who they collect all the weapons, throw it in the bag of holding, they get to town and sell them. 
And it's like, I had to right there on, to make it not too OP. Uh, Computer gamification. To make again, it not too OP. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I have the, the shopkeeper saying, like, oh, well, these are not exactly high quality. The tang on these blades is damaged. Uh, this this wasn't even made with steel. This is like some sort of raw iron that's more like yeah, sure. just shaped this way rather than sharpened. Where'd you find this in a bloody goblin cave? It's crap. Workmanship's terrible. It's not worth the iron it's made from. There you go. Stop Stop doing that, players. But I'll give them some. <laughs> but, I just don't want to give them the yeah, full should, value should, one for one. You should, yeah. Yeah, definitely not. Because, I mean, a merchant wouldn't do that anyway. Where's the profit in it for them? But a lot of times they'll search them and I'm like, they're like, oh, what do they have? I'm like, not much. I mean, they have their clothes. They have their weapons. Do they have any money? Not really. They're kind of like, they just live in this cave in the middle of the woods and they just rob people for food and stuff. Yeah, I think, if, I mean, I've been guilty of that in stuff like Fallout, where I've just literally will just loot everything from everybody until I'm encumbered and then slow yeah. walk back to town to sell it all. Um, yeah, that's cyberpunk. I think everybody likes doing that because um, <laughs> it's an easy way to farm money. I guess the, the trick is then to find other ways to incentivize your players other than by just farming very small amounts of money from stripping everything down. Well, it seems it's small, but it's not small, especially if you're low level. I mean, if they can get like mm. four sets of leather armor off of things they've killed and sell it, they just made like a couple hundred gold. That's a lot of money in Dungeons sure. and Dragons, especially if you're like under level yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, as I say, I think it's it could be. Well, I don't know. You know, it depends on what your personal preferences are. Whether you enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, to me, that seems like that would just slow down, slow everything down, and sort of be a bit be a bit unsatisfying except for maybe the one person who enjoys um hoarding stuff speaking of slowing things down um as a as a person who writes tabletop games a lot of times i am forced to pre-think these sorts of things i I do have to include tables and stuff into my published um dungeons and dragons and other tabletop content that i create and, and author and stuff do you feel like when when you're whenever you're reading i know you don't do this much but i'm sure you've looked at a few different existing campaigns and modules before do you ever feel like there's a risk of breaking your game i mean we just talked about how you don't want the 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 lower level characters to get too much money too quickly or else you're gonna have to change the whole economy um when i do make when i'm making campaigns that is one of the things i'm thinking about is like this overall economy i don't want to break it especially if i'm going to create homebrew items how much do i charge is a plus one sword a thousand gold or is that too much too little is it ten thousand gold you know what i mean because even when you look this stuff up in dungeon master's guide a lot of the times i don't agree with it i'm like there's thirty thousand gold for this one thing but then at the same time it's like a magical item that is is a one-of-a-kind artifact or something like that i i feel like i don't i don't know i feel like those sorts of magical items i want them to find or earn uh, rather than walk into a shop and buy them anyways so that's that's really my issue with using the tables is I don't I th- I'm glad that they're there and I've in, you know I've created them myself but they're not always balanced and and that also brings me to think about like currency exchange is that something that's important to you like oh they found gold but not copper no. but what happens when yeah no. right that seems crazy and micromanagey until you're playing Curse of Strahd and silver is sure. very important and silver is uh-huh. so, so it's just kind of like you have to think about these things sometimes even when it's something that seems like it's just going to slow the game down um i think there's there are other games that handle this differently so rogue trader which is one that i've read 
the rule books for because I've got them on a humble bundle, but I haven't actually played. Um, it's basically assumed that you are wealthy enough to purchase anything. It's like a Call of Cthulhu approach almost. Yeah, exactly. It's a very, very similar percentile-based system. So, you know, functionally very, very similar. It's assumed that you're independently wealthy. You're, like, massively wealthy, in fact. So the difficulty is not do you have the funds or the resources to buy said object. It's a role to see whether that thing is available in the place that you are. So if you want... I don't know, like we'll say the like a magic weapon of some description, the fucking death hammer of Quizzyquag or something. Um the death hammer of Quizzyquag is all is a completely solo one off magic item, right? So you would take the probability of you being able to find that, which would already be quite low, and then you'd factor in where you are. So if you're on uh I don't know, say um uh, an agricultural world that it wouldn't you know severely impact the difficulty of whether or not you'd be able to locate such an object there we can make it even less like a one-off item so say you want an assault rifle if you turn up on an agricultural peasant world where they just they grow beans on 95 percent of the world's surface and they don't ever encounter you know hostiles they're probably not going to be able to find a consignment of assault rifles but if you go to a well you know a a well-traded part with, you know, illicit black markets or a manufacturing world that only produces, like, war items or whatever, then you're significantly more likely to be able to get that item. So there's, like, the rarity of the item itself, the generalised, you know, the difficulty of obtaining an item in, for the given location that you're in and, and that, those sort of things that you, you sort of consider. I generally try and sort of play it that way with my players, you know, on the understanding that, um, you, you know, you for whatever reason, you guys are probably wealthy enough to be able to do this. You've got established business interests, whatever. What we're rolling for now is, you know, the probability of you being able to find that. And then I'd probably just do it, on, as I say, on a percentile basis, based on how likely I think that's going to be. But that's, you know, that's me homebrewing stuff to address the minutiae of the game that I can't personally be bothered with. But as you say, you know, it is something that could tie in very strongly to something like Curse of Strad, where silver is, you know, at a premium because of the other qualities it has beyond currency. One of the solutions I made to this issue in my own games in the past, and, and this was something I, I did when I first started DMing because I was a lot more worried about these things than I am now. Like, like I still would consider myself a heavy prep DM comparatively, mm -hmm. but compared to when I first started, I'm like, I would, it's almost like just winging it in comparison. I mean, I'm still making a whole bunch of stuff, but I used to very much over prep, like way, 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 way sure. over prep, write multiple pages of word documents, just describing like the cities on the sword coast. Cause I had to get that straight in my head, or at least I thought I did. Um, that was when I first started, but I always would give my characters two items. One of them was a purse of holding, which is a bag of holding mm -hmm. that can only hold money. And that was mm -hmm. to get rid of the, encumbrance that if you were to think about it in real realistic terms 1000 gold coins is going to be so so heavy and it's going to take up so much space yeah. um and i didn't want to like gold play with that fucking heavy as it I didn't is i want to play with that know? constantly and and play with these encumbrance rules because that's just a little too min maxi for me it's just like really getting into the details now i do like encumbrance very rules granular. for certain things you can't carry 10 hunting traps because sure. they weigh 20 pounds each I'm not going to yeah. count everything, but I will say uh, that a few of those is going to slow you down or something like that. But like, I always give them that item to just kind of get away from that whole, like, are you encumbered by how much money you have on you? 
Um, but I call it a personal holding because I make a stipulation you can't put I- other items in it. Yeah, yeah. And then another thing I've done in the past is, you know, once again, just to kind of explain away uh, the little plot hole of currency exchange was like a transmutation device that lets you transmute your coins and your stuff like to any form you want. And that's just more like a narrative device saying, oh, one second here. Now my one gold coin is 10 silver coins or whatever it may be. But like we mentioned just a moment ago, depending on the campaign you're playing, that might not work because a certain material might be more precious or more valuable than uh, what it is in the standard rules as written. Like in like in Curse of Strahd, silver is not going to be used as one silver piece. Silver is worth like five or ten times more than gold. So you have to really kind of think of it as a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that's just kind of the ways that I've tried to work out those problems you know, on my own. And and like you said, a lot of people just probably worked them out by ignoring those, those problems. I think it's, you know, it's all about, you know, managing player expectations and, um, what I expect from them, what they expect from me at the end of the day. Um, there's no right or wrong way to go about it. It's just some people like extra, extra, extra crunchy granularity. And some people don't. And if you're in a situation where exceptional rules are going to apply to things like silver currency, then you're already working from, you know, an adventure book which will have the tools within it to help you, presumably. But again, ignoring ignoring the ignoring currency and loot presents its own series of problems because then it's when do you institute reward, you know? Because it can it, it can be an easy sort of serotonin boost for a party to just go right well you've discovered a chest of 500 gold coins in the back of this cave or whatever and by doing very little on your part as a sort of seemingly throwaway gesture they're absolutely over the moon you know like for no particular you know immediate gain it's just a thing oh treasure currency stuff we can spend but i think you can also you can loot yourself into a corner which is i think is something you were going to try and talk about before you may accidentally give away something perhaps slightly too powerful or a bit too game-breaky or, you know, tips the scales perhaps too far in one direction just because you've not fully thought of the ramifications of awarding such an item to people. That can be something that, you know, you then don't want to necessarily take something, a magic item away from somebody after you've awarded it. Um, But giving a particularly powerful weapon or something like that is, you know, something that you can fall into the trap of just by not considering the ramifications of what you're doing before you go or awarding a, such a large amount of money 500 gold coins is you know a, fab, a fabulous king's ransom for like most peasants or whatever you know it's more money than they'll ever see in their lives so <laughs> you could really like destroy an economy <laughs> with the with that kind of money uh in like a, a peasant world so i don't know it's, it's a difficult thing for me to sort of to manage in my head but as you say you know if you're working from established rule books there are plenty of resources there to help you manage it it's just with my style i tend to run the risk of overcompensating my players (laughs) without thinking we will get right back to dice talk after a short break from our sponsors hi i'm cameron i'm christian i'm dylan and And we're we're table Table Talk. talk Join us as we bring together longtime dungeon masters and players, YouTubers and podcasters, authors, and more. Chat about everything table talk RPG related. Everything from play styles, world building and lexicon, game reviews, interviews with professional content creators, homebrew monsters and spells, lore, and even special holiday themed content. 
keep those dice rolling. Hail Vecna! Space. The final frontier. Mayday alert. We are under attack. Oh, Blarney. I kind of gotta watch the tube for 10 seconds. Rerouting auxiliary power to abjuration shields. Someone get on those cannons. We've got company. Are you looking for a Dungeons & Dragons sci-fi fantasy space adventure? Then what you are looking for is Eclipse. Join our crew every other week as we struggle to keep the galaxy safe. With Dr. Shepard, the Illithid Cleric. Space Pirates. That was wild. Ava Elkin, the Human Monk. If we play our cards right, we might not be totally screwed. Lita Nove, the ASMR Bard. We should be arriving in Amaron in about two hours. Info O. Scott, the Warforged Artificer. Alright, I'm just gonna go ahead and fire the sonic cannon here. Kanan Vargas, the Tiefling Sorcerer. Does anybody else think this is like a super aggressive move? And I'm Jeremy Fair. I will be your dungeon master. Eclipse can be found on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere you like to get your podcasts. And we are back. So right before the break, we were talking about trying to balance that like that mental game of preparing too much, preparing too little. Mm -hmm. Should I go off of the existing tables? Should I come up with my own sort of rewards? And one thing that I've seen that some pre-written campaigns do in a lot of modules on like the DMs Guild and things like that is it's not, hey, I want to search the body. It's, can I search the body? Yeah, go ahead and make an investigation check. Mm. And then based on how well they did, they find more or less. I like this approach. I think Mm -hmm. it does require more prep on the DM's part, or it requires them to be a lot more efficient at responding on the fly. But I do like that idea that if you searched better, you found that that extra little thing. Maybe you you found the necklace they had on under their coat, not just the coins in their pocket. Exactly, yeah. Maybe you found this extra dagger that's hidden in their boot that is a plus one dagger or something like that because they got the natural 20. Or I do like rewarding them, you know, in that way. But that's another thing where it's like this balance. When are you prepping too much? Because you can make all these tables and never use them. Mm -hmm. But then if you make them generic general tables that you use multiple times they might feel stale and fake that kind of presents us with this issue of you know how how should we do that and i think that's anything we talk about dungeons and dragons is kind of like how do you want to do that rather than how you should do it but i mean what like what do you prefer because for me i think even though it is a little bit more difficult I, i want it to make sense narratively so what you find is what that goblin would have had on them what you find is what that character realistically would have had on them if they hit you with a warhammer they're carrying a warhammer if they blocked you with a shield they have a shield and even though that can break your game i feel like it's a challenge that we should accept to think about those things and respond appropriately because absolutely you can really make the the world feel real by allowing your players that option of like oh well are his boots better than my even if it's just for flavor what does his coat look like you described it to them when he jumped out of the trees or whatever and and that was a cool sounding description and now they want that coat for themselves so let Mm -hmm. them take it i mean it doesn't actually provide them anything but narrative but that's all this is we're just telling a story together yeah sure um it's just you know little touches trinkets souvenirs i had a sorcerer character that used to put arcane marks on everything that the party killed like everything not just that he killed but just everything that the party killed because one of the other party members used to like to take trophies so every trophy you took would be marked with my character's like arcane signature essentially as if you just stolen (laughs) stolen my kill so 
But yeah, people do like to do that. I mean, Sakasukas was one of the characters. There. He used to cut off people's faces and wear them. Cut as off a... people's faces to wear on his coat. Yeah, that's because he was a literal crocodile, <laughs> crocodile Dundee. Absolutely. Sakasukas. Sakasukas. Hello, everybody. I'm gonna rip off your face. Why don't you come over here? I'll get that cute little face off you. This is a really, really fucking big face. But that's another thing. That's you, loot. That was not in the DM's control. You were going to do that whether they wanted you to or not. And so that's another <laughs> yeah. thing that you'll, you know, as DMs, we get to know our players and we get to know what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. And even though they always seem to surprise us, but you know, it doesn't matter if you plan for loot. Sarkasukis is looting that guy's face or something like yeah. that. Like it's what he perceives as valuable. Yeah. That's another thing. What if you do they have gold teeth? You know what I mean? Like what if people really got into Good detail question. about it? Like, I've had friends who, especially with like big, epic, you know, interesting monsters, they want that Nothic eye because it's cool and they feel like mm-hmm. they can trade it or something. They cut off the horn from that dragon they killed. I mean, we pl- we used to play Monster Hunter a lot growing up, but they're all just like into that sort of thing, like harvesting sure. the parts from these epic creatures. And I think that's another form of loot we haven't talked about. I mean, we're thinking about what yeah. kind of loot does a sentient being have? Does a creature that can think about its own existence and has like an an allegiance but what about a beast a monster yeah this is the thing that annoys me the most is like you kill a rat and it has a gold piece like what why (laughs) what's it gonna spend it on like uh, i don't know right but that rat maybe you follow it to its lair and there's a whole bunch of food or something hoarded in i mean you wouldn't want it but it would be interesting that a raven you found its nest a magpie or something and it has a little necklace in it um, yeah, exactly. Things like that. So it's, you know, once again, you just have to like consider, I think it's, I think the problem is we're saying, how do you do it in a general fashion? And and what we're getting at is you can't, you have to kind of handle it on a case by case basis. Yeah, absolutely. You, do, you It's difficult to predict what your players and their characters are going to find interesting. Like my character, Sakasukas, just wanted to cut people's faces off. And that was what he wanted. He wasn't really interested in money because he was a lizard man who lived out in the wild. And he just wanted to cure and tan human faces to make into clothing. And that's, you know, that's what made him happy. And I've had many other players uh, with equally strange peccadilloes because, you know, that sort of thing is funny sometimes. (laughs) So I think... Players will sort of choose their own rewards uh, as time go on, and it's just a case of being familiar enough with the players that you're, you know, that you're uh, GMing for, and the, you know, the, the individual peccadillos of those characters, because generally they'll establish themselves sooner or later, and you can start rewarding your players with things like, "Then this boss has a particularly large and impressive face, and uh, festooned with a golden nose ring or whatever." It'll be a particularly nice piece for your back piece of your jacket, you know, stuff like that. And the nose ring will make it easy to carry. You can just latch it on That's and it. let it drop. That's Dry it. Dry no, in the sun bu- as they walk. Or I could use it to make a satchel and it would be a lovely fastening for it, you know, any, you know, any kind of leather work. One time I had um, my characters, or my characters, I had my players fight a Nefelschnee, which is a demon that's really powerful. Uh-huh. And what I did was it was bound in some sort of prison and it was wearing a ring that was essentially like responsible for dampening some of its powers um like it couldn't use right. its teleport power and some things like that but when they defeated it they got this ring and it's big enough to, and it was now like a wristband oh, like a bracelet yeah, sure a bracelet because it was so big and then i came up with some like oh it suppresses these sorts of abilities but it enhances these sorts of abilities and so that was something ah, that i my own tool i used because they wanted to know like when i described that the bracelet was there kind of like 
wanting them to target it and destroy it and then they become stronger sure. but they end up getting it and then they want to know what it does and they want it inside so like i'll let them attune to it or make like an arcane check or whatever but yeah that's another time where that loot was something i did come up with kind of right then and there but it was also so much more exciting for them because it's a magic item it's not just a mundane it's not coins it's not food it's not uh, victuals mm-hmm. it's not just like their water you know they they have a little pouch of wine or something on them that you found but one of the most exciting things for players and certainly one of the most exciting things for me is magical items. And when you really find loot on something like a boss or like a, a at the end of a big event and some sort of treasure hoard, I think magical items is the way you really, really reward your players. Yeah, absolutely. That being said, what are some of your favorite ones? I know we've mentioned this in previous episodes. I think for this situation specifically, a lot of the new mundane magical items are really really cool for this situation because Mm -hmm. you can come up with something that does have a magical effect but it's not game breaking there's that ever lit candle that can't go out even underwater things like that i think small little magical devices are good rewards that are not going to break the game instantly i'm sure in numenera um they have a similar concept it's just they're just called oddities and it might be something like basically like a vacuum flask or it could be a a piece of like clay that will always slowly resume the same shape uh, no matter how you model it or you know little things like that and they're not necessarily hugely useful in their own right but you could be creative with them and they've you know the way that they're described is the sort of like well they're oddities so they're like individual items that you probably wouldn't see anywhere else it's like unexplained little bonus trinkets um you got to collect them all, get the full set. <laughs> I like those. I like trinkets. There's actually a trinkets table in the player's handbook that I'll have my players mm-hmm. roll on when they're making their characters. I let them get one random trinket, and then I ask them to come up with a way that it connects to their character and explain to me why it's important to them or why they have it. Yeah. And that just is kind of a jumping off point um, that a lot, like as a brainstorming tool for them to help write their character. Sure. Uh, we talked about in the past that sometimes limitations are more freeing because it's hard to come up with something when you have no guidelines. But mm-hmm. when I say, hey, come up with a narrative for why this, you know, whatever it is, you you know, you roll on there. It's a skull of a I think one of them says like a rat skull on a necklace or something like that's super weird and super mundane. But if you can if you tell someone to write a prompt about that, they can come up with some pretty interesting stuff and then maybe end up fleshing out their characters somehow. Yeah. Um. So I do think, like you said, these little oddities and these little common trinkets, whether they're magical or not, are are cool. They're a lot more exciting than you found some gold or you found some silver then, or you. Yeah, they automatically allow you to just sort of add a little bit of seasoning to the flavor of your character, don't they? Um. Why do you have this? Or why does it mean something to you? Or you know, and it, it, as you say, it doesn't necessarily have to have any incumbent magical properties. But if it does, there should be something sort of. There could even be something relatively minor. It's just that it, it's like a an, a unique object, you know, perhaps like a like a, a little clockwork toy or something like that, a little music box. It could just be something that would help you help go to sleep or something. Help you go to sleep in a little flavorful thing, um, you know, anything like that. Or an Everlit candle. That was a that was a good suggestion too. Yeah, the Everlit candles are good. There's, I think the Honestly, it's a mundane item, but it's the most broken mundane item there is. The slippers of spider walk. Mm. So, or spider climb. So OP. Yeah. I mean, it's literally a common mundane item that you can just get easily. 
but it allows you to indefinitely at all times have the spell spider walk mm-hmm. or spider climb active. It's not even like once per day. It's whenever you're wearing those shoes. Yeah, because you're an entire di- entire new dimension to move through effectively. I mean, if you're if that's not game breaking, then go ahead and make spider spider climb a cantrip. Well, yeah, essentially, why? Yeah, why? Especially now that you can play as an Arakocra and you can just fly. Yeah, and I suppose they have winged tieflings, so maybe that it, maybe that is a response. Maybe they're like. We created some variety where you can fly, so characters who don't envision their character flying might still want similar benefits. Let's give them a common item, such as spider walk shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that, or something like, you know, like, have dark vision, you know, is had by so many play characters now that sort of deprived anybody of it seems a bit cheap, because the first thing they're going to do is, like, find some way around... Uh, either trying to get dark vision through a spell or whatever or you know use light all the time so just give somebody an object that emits light and save them save them the spell slot i feel like i'm mixed on that one because i do like depending on the situation i mean i do like the idea that there are certain places that there just are no lights inside and it's Mm -hmm. hard to see and that will impose certain disadvantages on you you know in a literal sense you can always just have magical darkness though which is like you know have a, as a, like a sort of coagulating physical resistance that just blocks the blocks the light emitted by any, any given object true but even if someone casts light or someone has a torch it's giving away their presence yeah sure that's something that can impact the story it, i mean like i said I'm, I'm saying all this but at the same time I, I do see where you're coming from because there's been multiple times where i wanted to play one character and said well it doesn't have dark vision though so I guess I should play a different race instead. I mean, the thing is, I'm not saying that you should do that. I just say you should, it's something to consider whether or not you would just give a mag- you know, just as a matter of course, if you, it, as a GM, so, you know, you're picking a character that doesn't have dark vision. You're a professional adventurer. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have magic flashlight, you know, whether that's just a crystal that has the effect of a light spell cast on it or whatever that they have to pull out of their pocket and hold. Or you know what, however, whatever form you want that to take, it just seems a bit stingy. <laughs> but again, it's the equivalent to the slippers of spider climb flight argument. If you're going to allow X, Y, Z, then why not the other? You know, but what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So we were talking about some magic items and how those are a lot of times some of the really, really exciting ways to reward your players, and it's also a way that you're not going to break the economy, mm-hmm. but you do need to. Make sure you're not going to break the game. Like one time I gave, um, when I was a new DM, I gave our barbarian his greatsword. wasn't 2d6. He got a 3d6 greatsword. I didn't think that was going to be that big a deal. But then he started getting extra attack, and then he started getting all these feats. And next thing you know, he's doubling damage that everyone else is doing. And because to me, I was a plus one sword never seemed that good. But I mean, it is really. Mm -hmm. So that's like, that's a mistake I made specifically while I was trying to avoid the very problems we're talking about. I was trying yeah. to avoid just giving them a whole bunch of money. So I wanted to come up with an item that would be nice for him and nice and exciting, but it ended up really breaking the game. And, and then I had to compensate for that by making things more challenging. And then I had to compensate for that by giving everyone else better weapons. And yeah, exactly. That spiral. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to DM yourself into a corner, I think just generally, but these are these, you know, everybody does it um, from time to time. We all have auto moments where you've completely tipped the balance of power in a game carelessly. Another thing I was, I've was i been tempted by is by giving my players too much money. That's great. Like money's a reward. And if you can balance it right, it's it's good. I mean, that's part of part of one of the things that your characters want so they can buy things they need. Mm-hmm. But 
don't know if you know this, Jerundu, but the equipment is kind of limited in the Dungeons & Dragons Player's Handbook. I mean, I, I applaud them for the variety they've provided us, but when you do it for eight years, it it's, looks like a relatively short list. Mm-hmm. And so I have many times, I'm sure other people have, and I'm sure right now I can look up a PDF of like a thousand page document with all these supplemental items. But I try to, one thing I like to do is create more items, create things for my players to spend money on. The money is not a reward if there's nothing worth buying. Absolutely. I think that's why magic items are so expensive a lot of the times is because they say like, yeah, you got sick of buying all the stuff in the regular general store. Now you can save up to really buy something meaningful, but they're magical items. You shouldn't be able to go to the shop and just buy every map. Now, maybe some of them, maybe there's a specific store in Waterdeep. The city of Splendor is the biggest city in the whole world or whatever Mm. that sells certain common, maybe uncommon magical items that are created by artificers and mass produced on a higher level. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think it's just weird that I can go into a shop and buy the nine soul stealer, even yeah. if I did pay 6,000 gold for it. Like it's it's the nine soul stealer, not a nine soul stealer. This it's a one thing. of a kind artifact. I think partly this has been addressed in previous editions by, you know, making the currency being basically the cost to procure the materials to manufacture that object, you know, um, rather, you know, if you want to make, this one-off incredible powerful thing you need a hundred thousand gold and these reagents or whatever and then that becomes the purpose of you know getting the money is to get the people and the knowledge and the materials and the special forging or whatever you need to do to get this fabulous one-off greatsword crafted in the fires of a dying volcano or something you know like that's that's the logistical cost to to procure the item rather than um you go to a shop and hand over a cartload of gold pieces and then in exchange are given this this item and then i guess you could work that into that's a question in and of itself yeah i mean if you're taking it seriously that could be a whole adventure that can be a whole four-hour day of playing is you have this giant barrel of gold and you're helping this merchant transport it to town so he doesn't get robbed or you yourself are just trying to make it somewhere without Mm -hmm. getting robbed i mean you have to defend this thing that's encumbering you so it's like that's another time do you do you really look at it in a realistic sense or not do you think about how much the money truly weighs and how much space it takes up and whether or not you need a separate, I don't know if vehicle is the right word, but like a little vehicle, like a wheelbarrow or something to transport it? Mm-hmm. Or do we just, nope, because I have a purse of holding that can hold all my money and it just completely erases that problem. I mean, this is the thing. It's like gold coinage is going to be heavy. Like even Just, just a co- weapon. Put it in a sock yeah, and blood exactly. to death. I mean, you ever just have like uh, change, just regular like copper change you know or at least copper plated steel which is what a lot of you know copper money is now Mm -hmm. but uh you just have a bunch of like copper coated change and it's like from playing like arcade machines or whatever stuff that you you know like the penny pushing machines you like play a few of those and you get like a big win on that and you've got like two pounds worth of two pence pieces or whatever you've got a hundred you've got 100 copper pieces we'll say and that weighs an absolute shit ton. You put that in your pocket and you're going to be walking around like John Wayne, like jingling and jangling, <laughs> you know, like overburdened by these tremendous, like a tremendous weight of metal, which doesn't represent very much currency. Um, so, yeah, unless it is sort of stored extra dimensionally, you know, vast sums of money, gold bars or whatever. I guess the way that they get around with that is with gemstones. 
which way less but are worth more than gold mm-hmm. yeah i definitely see that as being a way that the writers of D tried to fix that problem after they wrote it themselves but that's another thing where i would say like okay maybe you just have like some bracelet that allows you to transmute your money into diamonds or something like sure. that because like yeah. or or is that another thing like you man, we have to travel all the way to the dwarf capital to like exchange this money for those diamonds so we can go cast revive or, you know, whatever. So we can resurrect our friend because it requires all these things that cost all this money. Now, normally I don't really care too much about like spell casting components, but I do enforce the ones that have a spell cost that mm-hmm. um, the thing is like used up yeah, so yeah, that yeah. people cannot just resurrect Spam every person every time they sure, fall. Yeah. So, I mean, it really... I think what we keep arriving at is that you have to almost take it on a case by case basis, like every yeah, time. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, but I mean, you could say that's that's GMing or DMing, really. It's knowing your players, getting to know what motivates them, what's going to drive them as players and their characters if those motivations are different or you know contrary to each other, and then just managing their expectations of what they want from the game and what you want from them on the way through. It's not. It's like 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 I say. It's just it's analogous to any other GMing problem to me. How much detail you want to go into it is entirely up to you and what the people you're playing with are interested in. But if you're willing, you know, if they if you are willing to put in the effort to find it, there is enough, more than enough, granular information to weigh you down forever, literally under the encumbrance of your own coinage. So we're going to run out of time here in just a few minutes. But before we get to the end of the show, I wanted to ask you. What are some of your favorite magical items that as a player you'd be really excited to get um, as a reward, whether that's looting a big bad or finding him in a treasure hoard or completing some sort of quest to earn them? Now, if you can't think of a specific one, maybe are there just types of magical sure. items that you as a person like more than others? Now, I think everybody likes a magical weapon. I particularly like having sentient weapons. I think they're they're fun. It's another thing for the dm to do at the end of the day but it's a basically an inbuilt plot hook you've got this other personality tagging around with the um with the party on a less sort of meta level as a player i like returning throne weapons those are cool as shit man because like throwing throwing axes or throwing daggers and stuff is you know really cool you get lots of benefits the light weapons yeah. having to not worry about it ever you know like a spear or something yeah you one. know anything uh, re- returning ranged weapons, or you know that those are really cool. They're uh, useful things to uh, have, and they're just for flavor. Really, really friggin' sweet, in my opinion. How about you? I tend to like magical items that have a interesting, specific description that's not going to be covered by general D and D terms. Like mm-hmm. provides advantage, or like gives you plus one to attack. Like that's, I mean, that's good. That's beneficial to my character, but that's not what i really like what i really like are the ones that are specific like wearing this cloak gives you the ability to turn yourself into smoke and 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 Mm -hmm. travel anywhere that gas can travel and it can last up to you know in like two minutes at a time and you can use this three times per day just something that's very specific i mean even items that are like oh allows you to cast this spell and that's the end of the description is a little bit more boring to me than one that is giving a very specific result a very specific enhancement that is not covered by general terms in the dungeons and dragons world i also like items that i mean like like i do like weapons and i do like things that are going to increase my stats and have like a like an actual uh, statistical difference in the game but i also like ones that are just creative and allow you to 
further rule of cool something into existence. Like uh, one of my favorite items ever is just a, a coin that always comes up on the side you mentally want it to. <laughs> nice. Um, I had a coin that's a single gold coin piece that returns to me on command or when I've left more than three miles away from it. So you buy that thing and then you leave. You pay that person off for helping you and then the coin disappears from their pocket. Um, things like that. I like these yeah, weird nice. little things that I can be creative with and then, yeah. uh, you know, create a, like a different outcome of a situation with. Or I, in, in um, my Forged Ambition game I play with Ernest, I have a cloak of ever-changing cloak where I can make it look like whatever I want. And I have a hat that I can make it look like whatever I want. And those are my two favorite items, even though I have a flame tongue. And that's because those two items are awesome. I'm constantly like just really being really dramatic and and over like descriptive about what I look like and how my cloak's billowing in the wind and how the moment we walk into a nice establishment, my clothes go from like a dirty poncho to like mm-hmm. a, a nice dapper suit and like a top hat and stuff. I just like, that's one of my favorite items in reality. That's just mm-hmm. like an item that lets me rule of cool things. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, if I was going to add anything to, to the very end of that is ask your players directly what they want, what kind of things they think are cool. And it will, you know, it'll pay pay itself back. I've got a friend who all he wants is a mech suit. Wants a giant big robot suit. He needs to play Eclipse. And so that's that's his end game. So I have built-in motivators for him. And every time we sit down to play now, because his character wants to build a mech suit. So if I want to get him to go, his character to go off and do something, it's going to be parts for the mech suit. It's going to be funds for the mech suit. It's technology you need to build this mech suit. And that's all he's focused on. And when he eventually does get it, there'll be a sense of like, you know, that's for me to worry about in the future, but then we'll have equivalent threats to then meet the the potency of that mech suit and how to reward the other players in a kind of an equivalent way so that it's not just like one guy gets to be Liberty Prime and everybody else gets nuked on underfoot, you know? Um, well, they all get specific items. And he's just collecting as much Baskar as possible. Oh, uh, yeah, ex- exactly. You know, he's just built, he's trying to build this one huge mech suit for him to stomp around in. And uh, if he's he's willing to live like a complete tramp until that time, that's, you know, that's up to him. But it's going to pay off when he gets that mech suit. Well, I had a great time discussing this topic of loot and treasure mm-hmm. and different types of rewards with you, but we are out of time. Darn. Right before we go, the one last thing I wanted to do is I want us to work together to quickly create a magic item because as DMs, we are so <laughs> often creating what loot they find on the fly. So I have created a little table to help us out. Okay. And I'm going to roll on it. And the only thing we're going to roll is the type of magic weapon and then its rarity. And then from there, you and I will just have a quick discussion to come up with. Okay. So I'll roll D6. Got a one. So we're coming up with a weapon. Uh-huh. And roll another. And it's going to be very rare. Very rare. So what kind of things, if as a DM creating this on the fly, what makes a weapon very rare? Is a plus one weapon very rare? Is that uncommon? Um. Well, it's... In my view, you could get like a, a plus one weapon. You could have artificers churning those out. I think if they were working in some sort of collective, uh, sentience. Well, first thing I said, the thing I like about magic items is sentience. Sentient weapons are really fun. They don't have to be evil. They don't have to be uh, in any kind of concordance with what your character, the existing character's party, you know, want or is motivated by. It's just a rogue element, another personality, another voice to add to that uh, to that sort of chorus. So yeah, I would say sentience, having a, an aware weapon that is able to communicate with you. I think a cool one would be a sentient bow and arrow. And 
the mm. arrows extend the sentience. So you can like shoot the arrow 300 yards away and he tells you what he saw. <laughs> He's dead. Or something like that. Like, <laughs> not dead yet. But he like shoots him. Like, I don't know. I think that would be pretty cool. I also do like the idea of a sentient weapon because you can use it as a NPC to help guide your players without giving them an extra NPC that can fight and, and overthrow the balance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it gives you another another means to drive conflict, you know, in the party. If the the sword refuses to leave its scabbard or whatever, you know, it's pissed off because you didn't polish it enough yesterday. Or you you killed that baron who was someone who was their bondsman in life or whatever, you know, before they were trapped inside a sword. It's another another layer of things to think about and plot hooks. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Um, I better cut it off now before we talk for another hour and a half. So, <laughs> um, Drondu, it was great talking to you about this. Likewise. Do you have anything else you would like to leave our listeners with? Um, okay. Well, magic items are magical and items, but uh, there's nothing quite so nice as a face for the back of your coat. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. Do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear us interview? Or perhaps there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the show. We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to DiceTalkPod.com. There, you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to MajesticGoose.com where you can check out all the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to DiceTalkShow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts and get our name out there. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel about the show, and it really is the best way you can support us right now. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk. A Majestic Goose Podcast. Honk.